Welcome to The Art of Peace. I am your host, Jamie Dunkel. I'm here with Brian Levy Sensei, the Dojo Cho at NOLA Aikido in New Orleans, and the executive producer of this podcast. We're going to talk a bit more about the growth mindset um, and specifically the concept of praise and how it affects learning. I'm first of all relieved that we're and, and grateful to you for starting this uh, this podcast project and that we're now into it fully and doing it in a quiet space. Um, the last one was kind of like our first pancake in the cafe with all the noise, but we're continuing this conversation around the growth mindset and how to, in this case, how to use praise. And I guess I would start by saying that it takes a lot of listening to know when to intervene verbally or somatically when you're giving feedback and less is more. So I would say that when we're using praise, first of all, I like to use encouragement mixed with um, suggestions for further growth. And I take that from the research again, that Charles Colton sensei has shared with us about the language of, it was effective when you did this or that. Now, next time, try the following. But usually, and I, I think I said this before, though I don't think it made it onto the first podcast that we did, that the research shows that people in America, anyway, respond best with three things that they're already doing relatively well and one thing to grow on. So something like it was effective when you took this angle effective when you relax your shoulders, effective when you kept a constant uh, connection throughout the technique. Now next time, please also try stretching up a little more from the crown of your skull. One thing to grow on. That's an example of three kinds of praise, you might say, and one thing to grow on. So how does that for you as a student, I mean, I'm a student as well, I don't mean like that, but how does it, if I'm in the role of teacher at that moment and giving that kind of feedback to you, how, how does that land for you to hear those kind of things you're doing already well, in my opinion, in that moment? And it's all opinion, of course. I want to point that out. That's why I find this whole thing interesting to talk about because it's not like there's some gospel truth. I mean, all anybody's doing is expressing their interpretation of the moment. Who really knows? Nobody knows conclusively. A teacher is just someone who's, sensei means someone who's traveled the path a little bit further. Sensei means born before. On some level, it's the same character as in Chinese. It has to do with being, having come before, being, having been on the path a little bit longer. Speaking of which, um, and I'll answer your question after you answer this one. Okay. Uh, the dojo just celebrated its 15, uh, 15th anniversary. And... Um, I'm wondering, how long have you been teaching Aikido? Well, longer than that. Um, those 15 years plus another, well, actually not much longer than that. Those 15 years plus I started in Sweden, which was nice that my teachers gave me a little bit of a head start at it because I was very interestingly brought in to teach kids with my wonderful teacher, Jorma Lilly Sensei, in, uh, in Björkhag in a suburb of Stockholm where we would do Ropokai, this uh, precursor to Aikido that we practice here at our dojo now too with a different teacher. But Yorma was teaching kids and uh, 
he and another student named Yuko, Yuko-san and myself were assisting Yorma. So I watched how Yorma since they taught kids, and that was my introduction to it. I just dove in for the first time teaching or helping teach Aikido to, to kids, having not taught kids or adults before, and that would have been like in 2006 or five, six, I guess. So right before I moved to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina to start the dojo. So I had a little experience going in. The rest I had to learn as I went. So that's a lot of time to be able to experiment with what is effective in terms of instruction and praise and developing motivation and sort of um, dealing with how helping people unpack self-doubt and un and undo self-doubt, which is something uh, Charles Sensei talked about on his podcast. Um, uh, teaching for Mastery, the episode that w was discussing praise and motivation and mindset and how certain words that you hear can motivate people to either keep going or to stop. Super important mm -hmm. to be careful. I think you mentioned something earlier when we were not recording, when we were talking before, the pod before this session, that about how important tone is words, body language, everything matters. I had a, I went to a seminar in Shreveport at the dojo that I co-founded there before I started this one. I started, I co-founded Aikido Shreveport and Bill Ross Sensei has kept that going beautifully now for over 20 years. And he brought someone in, they joined a different lineage and they're following, uh, they're, they're in a lineage under um, Toyota Sensei originally. And Marker Sensei, came from Houston to teach a seminar. He, he runs a, he's a, he has a dojo in, in Houston, and he talked about neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which I don't want to get into too much here, but it looks at body language, it looks at which way your eyes are looking, it looks at very subtle cues that affect sort of states of body and mind and sort of awareness. And he said that it's very easy to say or do the wrong thing and completely turn someone off, and you could, like, ruin this path for them for good, if you're not careful. God knows, I mean, we make ourselves very vulnerable when we connect on the mats. And everything gets brought, it's like, it's like um, dojos are like very zen, like this one we're sitting in now, there's not a lot of distractions, so you can easily meet yourself. Because look around, and we, we, we're in the middle of New Orleans, this colorful, wacky, do what you want, anything goes city, but the dojo, we're, we're more following a more of a zen aesthetic, it's much more it's a Japanese art, but we're taking from Japan and from this, this Zen tradition of not letting the environment distract you from meeting yourself. Now, what does that mean? That's a, about 500 more podcasts, but <laughs> what do we mean by self, right? But I mean, um, so yeah, um, I've learned that you have to be very careful. And like I get back to, it gets back to listening, like I said. Or sometimes not listening. For instance, um, I think about moments when I've been praised unsolicitedly, I guess you could say. Actually, I should backtrack and say there are moments on the mat where people will tell me what a great job I did. And I'm in the zone. I'm learning. I'm trying to have intentional practice. And um, I, it's distracting. Folks will tell me what a great job I did, 
when I'm practicing and, you know, it's just sort of this empty praise that I'm not looking for, I'm not asking for, and um, part of my own, I guess, self-discovery is learning that that's difficult for me to hear, um, from, especially if it's not from an instructor. And typically instructors will have the wherewithal to say, XYZ was working really well, keep doing that and try whatever else along with it. And that I find very helpful because it, it enhances my intentional practice and gives me something to build off of. Whereas if somebody turns to me after I do something like a role or whatever, and they're like, good job. I don't need the good job. I, <laughs> I don't need to, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. I find it distracting and that's my own process. I suppose that's my own, um, something my own awareness needs to adjust to. Um, and I don't know, I guess I'm just wondering, do you notice that when it happens to people? Um, do you, what do you think of that well, phenomenon? I, I certainly, first of all, apropos listening, I'm just listening to you express how you experience it and what it's like for you. And so that's most important is that um, it's good to have that feedback, to know that that is something to watch for. And because I am head of school, and, you know, dojo cho and chief instructor, I mean, I have responsibility like for this garden that we're co-creating. So when plants start interacting in the garden in a way that's not optimal, then I have to intervene or I feel the need to intervene, which means I, well, I'm, and, and we've looked at this before. We've talked about, this came up in the dojo about a year ago and we, we around the time you joined or maybe a few months after, and I did bring it up, like to watch out for this unsolicited praise. And then it further ties in with something that happened right before the pandemic. I don't want to get too specific, but we were hosting a seminar. I'll leave it at that. We had out of town people coming and the feedback came to us that it was a wonderful seminar, but there was um, some of the women that came in from afar said there was a lot of mansplaining going on. And of course, I, even for me as a man and sort of a male, uh, a white male cisgendered person in a position of power to throw that term out. I'd rather just defer to you once I've, now that I have thrown it out and say that we were told that we, there was a ton of mansplaining going on by even low-ranking, less experienced, that's the more important thing, less... So I talked about sensei meaning born before, along the path. Senpai also means while you're not in the teaching role, you are a, you're a senior student. And so there were a lot of junior students explaining to high-ranking women from out of state, they didn't realize that this person was a fourth-degree black belt or something. And they're trying to tell her, that's not what this teacher was showing. They're, they're trying, and they're doing exactly what you're talking about. They're either giving praise or, or even worse in a way, maybe, they're actually giving, they're giving feedback, unsolicited. This has happened to me as well. Well, okay, that's why I want to throw it out there because I'm building on what you said. I'm saying I hear what you're saying about how the praise doesn't help. And I'm also wanting to bring up that it even goes the other way. And now, so please expand further on that because it's problematic, I find, to say the least. But. It, it, it's distracting. And I acknowledge that on one hand, it's up to me to temper my reactivity to distraction. And on the other hand, we are in a community where there's a social contract and agreement that we are doing this thing, Aikido, together. And if somebody 
isn't an instructor, I'm not seeking their counsel unless I explicitly ask. And um, if I don't, yeah, it's if I don't give them cons consent to assist me when I'm trying to focus with intentional practice, it pulls me out of my intentional practice. It pulls me out of my awareness. And now I'm instead engaging in these um, power dynamics, you know, that could be based on age or gender or a variety of other things. So um, I also want to have compassion for folks that maybe no one has ever shared with them that that's distracting. Maybe it's news to them, and that news could be a little jarring. So I think that everyone has a responsibility to work together and to find a harmonious approach to practice and constantly like update what that means for everyone individually and being willing and open to have those conversations um, candidly, but also with care at the core of the motivation of those conversations. No, I think that's beautifully, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't really have much to add to, add to that. That's compassion, caring, and an openness to that kind of feedback and, and, and the acknowledgement that in most cases people are not trying to be hurtful, but that doesn't mean it's not hurtful. Right, there's still an impact and... But I mean, you work with that. You, you work with these things, uh, helping people become more aware of, of these kinds of impacts. In, in my day job, it's true. Now, you don't have to keep that. I mean, <laughs> it's fine. Right. I don't mind. Um, I know that uh, we're coming up to um, the, uh, the end here. So um, I'm wondering how have you noticed a difference between how you approach um, teaching children versus adults in terms of? Uh, how you use praise or different methods of motivation? In some ways, it's not that different. The kids, too, respond well to it was effective when or a nice job with that, with that, and that. Uh, you know, and again, apropos the growth mindset, praising the effort, not the end result. Not you're good at that technique so much as you're doing a really nice job I see you're working on your posture. That's a great job. I might say to like my, our student Otto, for example, um, such a nice job of noticing the footwork and, and really working on that. Um, and you're, I really like how you're staying relaxed at this moment of, in this technique that we're working on. Um, I like the sequence that you really, you really got that, the steps down. Please also try slowing it down so that your partner can stay with you more. Um, I would use the same thing if I was saying that to a seven-year-old or to one of the adults. So it's not all that different um, because, I mean, adults and kids, we, we, we don't lose that psychology that responds well. And I, I, I mean, I haven't looked at the research if there is a difference, if there's anything evidence-based that says there should be different methods between the two. But I haven't, through experimenting over the past 15 or 16 years, I haven't, I don't, I don't see them that differently. Um, I mentioned earlier that from Jan Shihan in Sweden, 
one of our main teachers, he long ago set this example or made this distinction of notice, he said, notice that when I'm teaching in the smaller group, because he had two dojos, he had a small one that was more very for sort of experimental and very small kind of a laboratory thing, and then there was the larger dojo where he taught and co-taught with others. He said, I tend to be more round, he said, have you noticed when I'm teaching at this place? And it's true, there was this warm and fuzzy feeling at that small group. It felt so nurturing and so holding. That was one way, and that was one way to cultivate a garden of growth. And there was a lot of growth and a lot of, um, a lot of experimenting in a good way there that he inspired. At the other dojo, he could be sharper. And he actually used those words in Swedish, runda o skarp. I'm, no, he was like to the point, like sharp to the point of the matter at hand, or I think he meant. I meant. The, I think he meant the quality. He, I mean, it, it may be a subtle semantic difference that works slightly differently in Swedish, but rund is like just round. It's the same word. I mean, the same idea. A roundness is kind of a sense of holding. A sense of a circle feels like a soft shape in some ways, the way they roll, and then. At the other dojo, he could be, I think he meant sharper in the sense of more cutting, like a sword. Like he could just say. Well, that's what I mean, like like a bit more direct. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess so. In, in I terms get, of the feedback itself. I think so. That is, I think you are, I think that is what he meant. Yeah, exactly. He, he did mean like that. He meant, I think he meant, and I noticed at the other place, he could just say, you, you know, when you strike, you need to open, you need to open more. That's not so good like that. More he could be pretty direct. Yeah, every once in a while, he could be really direct and say, like, yeah. please work on that. That needs to improve. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the other place, he might almost only use sort of praising the stuff that's working and then hoping that with patience and time and curiosity, one would notice the things to improve mm-hmm. by just noticing, oh, wait a minute, I maybe would like to try stretching up from the top of my head. Instead of just having him say as a teacher, your posture needs to improve on that, you know. Like you're getting ready for this next exam. I want to see that better. You know, and, and that's very direct. Like pa versus here. Let me hold you. And then the questions: Can we integrate the two? And I think in my teaching here, because I don't have two dojos here, I have one. I think um, I think I, I try to integrate both. And I, I feel like I've experienced both, and it's helpful because even today, right? On the mat earlier, there were a few moments. I was pretty direct with you a few times, but in yeah, a gentle about, way. For instance, with um, keeping a certain extension. Yeah. Um, being mindful of extension yeah. or being mindful of very specific things that I was working within. Being mindful about very specific functions in the technique. Yeah. Um, and I find that really helpful because, it, again, it gives me something to focus on. And also, you are teaching today, so I, it's I invite that coming from who is teaching especially. Um, at the same time, there is a, once, I think there, there is this phenomenon whereby as a student, you do start to self-correct. And when you, when I, I'll just speak for myself, as a student, when I go to the dojo often, and I go frequently, um, I said that twice. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, hear enough of the finer points to focus on that they become ingrained Mm. in my mind and Mm. body. Mm. And so when a student interrupts me while I'm practicing and they start to tell me what I can focus on and they've not asked me instead, 
what is your intentional practice today? What are you focusing on today? They assume what I should focus on and it takes me out of my intentional practice and that magical, beautiful moment of self-teaching, of that memory surfacing, oh, I just did Shomenuchi Ikkyo, but I realized that um, I wasn't moving with my center and next time I'm going to. Sometimes you don't need somebody to tell you. Other times you invite it. I mean, it's just, I, and to your point, yes, I think a combination of the round and sharp is helpful because it fosters those moments, at least for me as a student, to be self-teaching at times. Oh, that's wonderful. And that makes me realize also we're so inspired again by Endo Shihan. His very, I mean, he doesn't give a ton of direct feedback and, it, and it's very unusual for him to say, you did that well. We practice more silently, maybe with smiling. He, He's always emphasizing keeping the mind, that Heijo Shin, that still mind. At so does the smile indicate? Smile's fine. Smile's I mean, good. Does it, from, from Endo Shihan specifically, does it indicate something went well? Do you think? I mean, it can. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of mystery because he doesn't explicitly say, but if he's working with you and he's, smi and he's smiling or even kind of really seems happy, but, but that's interpretation. If, sure, he's, sure. if he's smiling, sure. I sometimes get the sense he seems to be enjoying this moment with that particular uke. He'll go around at seminars and people make circles around him after he's shown the main thing up front. And if he's come around and there's like 120 people or whatever, and you, you're like a group of 10, you can watch. He's, he seems to be playing and exploring. and even, He'll say a few things. I mean, and then what he does say are these small comments that, are, that we all remember, like things that he some, has sometimes said more than once, especially maybe if he says them in English, if he's teaching, if he's interacting with non-Japanese speakers in English, he'll say things like, um, if you don't come to me, I'll come to you. And from that we learn that sense of, like, we have to make this connection. And he's talked about making the connection delicious. He's talked in his book and otherwise about the connection needs to add up to 10, if the UK comes with kind of a level two of connection, whatever that means, the nage needs to be eight. But if the UK is coming at eight, then the then the nage doesn't have the, the nage can be two and needs to be. Like when I work with with one student who was there today, and maybe I won't call people out by names, even though this what I'm saying is actually actually frankly I will. When I work with Katja, because she's because so, I mean what I'm saying here is it was with deep respect and, and appreciation for how sensitive how. She has this deep somatic awareness from years of, of, of dancing. And, and she talks about it openly as well. About her dancing? About her sensitivity and her okay, somatic she, it, awareness. Right, so she self-identifies with that. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me to work with each person's level of... Each person comes with everything that they are. And Katja specifically comes with all that that she talks about and that I notice as well. We all notice it. So like when I was showing with her earlier today in class... When I'm doing that katatadori ikkyo ura movement from our kihon, which is very much similar to Tissier Sensei's taking a 45 degree angle and cutting, like sliding back, like you and I were working on, letting the arm be heavy. I, like, I have the image of an octopus, 20,000, or a squid, 20,000 leagues under the sea. Your arm is infinitely heavy and relaxed. And it's not like trying to push down. But with kata, I showed if I use too much, she will go spinning out and the kata will be lost. And honestly, she'll be in a better martial position because she is so sensitive. So I have to, maybe she's coming, I don't know, maybe on this metaphor, maybe she is with a nine of sensitivity. I have to be with a one to meet that. I can't overdo it. Or maybe conversely, she's coming with like a one. She's so sensitive. She's not giving 
Uh, she's not stiff or telegraphing. She's so aware that, that I have to be a nine in listening to her one in subtle connection. I mean, I'm just kind of riffing on these numbers, but Endo-sensei models for us not a ton of praise, but it's maybe a different, uh, different tradition, you know, um, a lot of silence, a lot of listening. He definitely, and this is where I riffed off onto this, models the self-inquiry. And he also, as I said on the <laughs> last podcast, um, we were talking about this, that he asks us to ask ourselves, and in, he models his own inner, I think he models his own inner dialogue, something along the lines of, that felt good now, why? Now the partner did this, and this happened, why? You know, and so he's showing us how to do it. Anyway, that was what I wanted to say was that um, exactly what you said. Give students the space for self-inquiry. Don't disturb it. Sensei does this. Sensei is, Endo Sensei is masterful at that not disturbing the point of contact, letting, and... And, and that could be not just a physical point where Uke and Nage meet, but also a mental point, a mindfulness point that can be sh shaken. And exactly. how do you, why is it shaken? How do you not, how do you not allow it to be shaken? I mean, I just think about there, now I want to have a whole other conversation about that. Well, maybe so we'll watch a later podcast, yeah. but that's what I'm going to leave it on. I think, um, don't disturb the mental point of contact. Give, give your, use praise and feedback in a way that, that enhances that self-inquiry. And not empty praise. And not empty praise. And I really am appreciating how much you brought to this conversation and it's important those aspects of, of, of feedback and and I will also say we're, we're sitting across from our something that two of our students Ta Cameron and TT worked up this beautiful which made me cry with tears of joy when I walked in the door for the first time and read it that makes me very happy to hear and I hope <laughs> I hope TT and Cameron both hear this and can realize the impact of that we worked hard as a community to get to this place and they did uh, brought so much um, knowledge and awareness and, and, and caring to this document. But on this document, NOLA Aikido Declaration for Consensual Trauma-Informed and Inclusive Practice, there's a whole section about what you're talking about. So what you're asking people, what you're here sharing on the podcast, that when people give unsolicited praise, they're actually not following what we've all agreed to in a way. This is kind of like a contract that we've made a part of sort of a part of being a member of the dojo. Is required that we kind of like here it says, offer feedback and assessment as an invitation. You should always get consent to offer assessments. For example, or that is, may I offer you an assessment? Can I give you some feedback? Can I offer you a tip? There's, there's that consent. You mentioned that earlier. So we're, we're out of time here, I feel like. But um, the whole document goes on from there. But there it is right there. Uh, you know, may I? And one last thing also. It doesn't even matter, as you say, like, I'm the chief instructor, I've practiced longer than anybody in, in this dojo, and yet when I go to someone else's class, like Laura's or Claybear's, I do my best to say nothing. You are quite quiet, unless asked questions. I'm working and on even it then, to practice, I mean. You, even if I ask questions while you're not the instructor, you don't always answer, you just show something, which is really helpful. I don't want to, it feels important. It feels important that I model that, and it feels right. And also, I just want to come and practice, like when you and I were practicing the cafe the other month. Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> Let's end on that note or something. Um, yeah, 
Well, Cue outro. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for for this conversation today. I really thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate it too. That's important stuff, and I think uh, appreciate your uh, suggesting the topic and uh, and and for all the work you're doing to bring this podcast about. This is. Uh, this is cool. We're sitting here in the dojo and we look like we're in the NPR studios. <laughs> well, there's plenty more to come. Thank you for listening to Art of Peace and stay tuned for interviews with visiting senseis and our local students. Until next time.